Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Today, I welcome to the show Dr. Mita Singh, who is a board-certified physician and psychiatrist specializing in sleep science. Dr. Singh's deep expertise and evidence-based approach integrates medical, psychiatric, and behavioral sleep science with the applied experience and individual coaching to improve clients' abilities to achieve enhanced health, mental strength, optimized performance, and quality of life. In the conversation, I explore the world of sleep, starting with the basics and Dr. Singh's own journey into this field of expertise. We go on to discuss the benefits of sleep, the pros and cons of napping, and delve into the unique challenges faced by teenage athletes and students. With the pressures of school and sports, many young people find themselves sacrificing sleep in pursuit of success. Dr. Singh shares her advice on navigating these high-stress periods, the long-term effects of sleep deprivation, and how to reframe our perspective on sleep as an essential component of performance. We also discuss strategies for maintaining alertness during late-night competitions and events, as well as addressing the concept of sleep debt and whether it's possible to get too much sleep. Finally, Dr. Singh provides valuable tips on how to fall asleep faster, helping us all to maximize the restorative power of sleep. This conversation is packed with valuable insights and practical advice for anyone looking to enhance their performance, well-being, and overall quality of life. You won't want to miss it. If you would like to know more about Dr. Singh's work, then check out her website, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the links provided in the show notes. And without further delay, please welcome Dr. Mita Singh. Dr. Mita Singh, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really chuffed to have you here. Super grateful. I know you're super busy, in demand, and I'm a bit of a sleep nerd myself. So I think a good launching pad would be um, if you wouldn't mind giving a brief description to yourself and the current work you're doing. Okay, so, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I am a psychiatrist and a sleep medicine doctor. And um, I, you know, I did my training at Mayo Clinic and then did, uh, and towards the end of my psychiatry residency, um, you know, heard about sleep medicine. Actually, I, I did a sleep medicine rotation because I thought 
well, how busy, like, you know, how when you're in your last year, you're like, well, let's, <laughs> let's look for some things that are really easy. Cool. And it is so fascinating, the science, science of sleep. Of course, I did my training, um, finished my psychiatry in 2003, and then came and uh, to the Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center to do a fellowship in sleep medicine. Mm -hmm. And so the fellowship has been around for, I want to say about 30, 35 years in which, you know, in turn, um, uh, doctors of medicine are trained in the science of sleep medicine so that we can treat and identify, you know, identify and treat any sleep disorder. Okay. And because I live in, uh, in Metro Detroit, we have the three large auto companies and my, my, career sort of transitioned to helping some of the executives who would have business in Asia or in Europe and they'd be traveling so they'd be right. jet lag etc mm -hmm. and then I just at, so, sort of fell into the world of sports by happenstance so about 10 years ago I heard somebody on the local radio talking about you know some sort of advice they were giving to the no local uh, National Football League team right and because i work at the henry ford sleep disorder center i actually cold called uh the the team doctor okay. at that time was dr michael workings who was working in the system and i was like well yeah i don't know what you've been hearing but that is not sleep science and he said do you want to come and talk to us instead oh wow and so i got invited to speak at the local nfl team and um it sort of you know career transitioned into doing a lot of sports so i worked mm -hmm. first for the local nfl team and then major league baseball um sports is a very small world and uh, at least in the u.s people who take care of athletes they often you know they move they go to another team and mm -hmm. they would ask to come to work at another team and i've you know have i've done work with in um in national football in the NBA, Major League Baseball, um, uh, NHL, done some work in soccer, and um, with with you know U.S. Olympics, and incredible. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's it's been it's been really interesting because in the kind of world that I am in, you know, professional sports want to be like they want to be like Navy SEALs, and they want to be like astronauts, and astronauts want to be like Formula One drivers, and they want to be like professional <laughs> sports and and, you know, CEOs and business leaders want to be like professional athletes. Mm. And the goal is to really try to optimize sleep. Love it. Incredible. And and I definitely want to unpack some of the the athletic sports side because they're taking it seriously now, aren't they? I, I've heard yes. stories of NFL teams having sleep pods in their, in their yes. training facilities. Um, so you, you obviously, when was that? When did you have those conversations with the sporting world? And have you seen it accelerate the importance of sleep with those athletes? I assume you have, yeah? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, so I fell into it about 10 years ago and it has only grown since then. Wow. And I and I think that I think there are two two separate reasons for that. I you know, prior to a few years ago, um like for example in major league baseball, amphetamines or steroids, you know, people would use um, you know, they were not tested for. Mm. And of course now we're more and more strict about what performance enhancement um, substances people 
should be allowed to use. And so there's that. And then juxtaposed with that is the fact that just being an athlete, especially at an elite level, itself is detrimental to people's sleep. Right. So if you're in a if you're playing at a higher level, you're either a an individual athlete or you're in a team sport and you're often traveling for competition, there's jet lag involved when you cross time zones. Um, you know, you may be trying to fall asleep at a different in, in a hotel room. But then in addition to that, you know, people have difficulties falling asleep before major competitions. Mm -hmm. They have difficulty sleeping after games and after competitions. Yeah, I felt they that. stresses <laughs> because, you know, they have the expectation of their coaches, their audience, uh, their fans, um, their coaches, and, you know, even the expectation that athletes have about themselves can result in the stress that makes it difficult for them to sometimes fall asleep. So sleep becomes really, really relevant. Mm. And yeah, though I'm really keen to get into some of those tools around that. I, I've got quite a few questions, especially on teenage athletes. A lot of my okay. audience I work with are okay. teenage athletes and students. But um, so I think quite a quite a cool maybe starting point, like some sleep basics before we go too granular. Um, mm -hmm. So if you were giving an elevator pitch to someone, why would you tell them sleep is so powerful and important? I think we both know, but someone on that elevator, what's the power of sleep at a big overview level? Well, I mean, I would say that, so imagine if you were trying to optimize your performance, but you were doing it only for two thirds of the time, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it would be like you were putting all your money in a bank, but then allowing somebody at the bank to steal one third of it all the okay. time. It's cool. That's mm -hmm. like, that's what happens when you ignore sleep. You spend one third of your life sleeping. And Sleep serves an absolutely vital function for health and performance for all of us, but it's especially important for athletic performance. But mm -hmm. right? if you get less sleep, you're slower, you're less accurate, you're likely to make bad decisions, you're more likely to be injured. And so it's really, really important to be well slept mm. so that you can perform well. I think I think it was you. I read it or saw you talking about it. That is it almost like having like a pint of beer, a pint and a half of beer in the morning. I think beer yes. gets referenced. Can you just explain almost even what happens at a, at a like neurological level when you've yeah. got sleep debt, so to speak? Right. So so yeah, you know, one way to figure out how important sleep is is by looking at what happens when you don't get enough sleep, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes the impairment that you get from less sleep is a good indicator that sleep is really essential. And there've been um, a lot of studies that look at the impairment that you get with less sleep and compare it to the impairment you get from drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this has been done in many, very many ways, but my favorite way of, of looking at it is by, um, you know, comparing it dose for dose. And so, uh, these the tests that they do to check this impairment are done on a computer. So they, you know, they're they're measuring your reaction time, they're measuring your accuracy. And if anybody, you know, on these tests, if you get instead of getting eight hours, if you're getting six hours of sleep, it's equivalent to having drunk two to three beers and then oh. showing up for the test, right? Wow. And if you're drinking, getting only four hours of sleep, it's like 
four to five years, which is maybe puts you in the in the you know you're going to be legally be drunk. So your mm. blood alcohol level is enough for you to be, be blowing, uh, you know, making people uh, aware yeah. of the fact that you've been drinking. So so just on that, just for a second, like so if someone I don't know has four hours of sleep a night. And someone has three beers. The person with three beers is probably better to operate the car than the person who's only had four hours of sleep in a bizarre way. And <laughs> that sounds well, weird. No, no, no. I think I think that the way that I think about it is, is that when, if you've drunk beer, you are your judgment is impaired, and you cannot decide whether you're fit to drive or not. Mm-hmm. I think the impairment from sleep is very similar to that. Okay. Because when you consistently get less sleep, your ability to tell that you're impaired actually gets impaired too. <laughs> yeah, true. And so you, so your judgment is off, and then you are not able to, to um, you know, figure this out that you whether you're fit to drive, and 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 that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I don't think that there's been a study that shows uh, what would happen to your driving. Um, it's. Um, it's 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 an interesting question to consider because um of you know people will drink one or two beers and and still get into the back of their cars yeah. mm-hmm. right it's you know because because we have this, something called a blood alcohol level and so it's almost like a, a line in the sand that it's if beyond that mm. you, if you get caught then you are impaired mm. but you really don't know i mean don't know. Mm. i think the worst thing would be if you were getting six hours of sleep and and you were drinking that would not be additive that would be exponentially mm. worse yes yeah be interesting like i don't know forecast and just kind of like a this dystopia world we might get in is like uh, will will the breathing apparatus also test for like sleep deprivation at the same time as you get pulled over by the cops because it'd be like yes. hey actually you got so much less sleep you're not allowed to get behind the wheel kind of makes yes. sense though doesn't it if you're putting your life and other people's lives in danger with lack of sleep why would you let someone operate a vehicle <laughs> Yes, that's that's so true, and and in fact, I mean, I I think that people already do that, right? There are cars in which, when you're driving, they can they can tell by your blink levels of whether you're likely to fall asleep. So so um, that, you know what one of the things that happens is that if you if you are sleepy, but if you're under bright light, if you're moving around, if you're motivated, if you're walking around, you can mask these effects of sleepiness, and you can keep going. Mm. And I always tell people, like, you're, not, you're, however sleepy you are, you're not going to fall asleep while, you know, running on a on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's when you sit down, and when you're sitting in front of the computer, or if you're sitting in a quiet, boring, dull, sedentary situation, that you unmask sleepiness, which is what happens when you're driving. Awesome. And so people will say that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly fine at work. And I'm up and about and I'm walking around and I'm fine. But it's as soon as I sit in the car to drive back. I start feeling really sleepy because you've unmasked sleepiness. Mm, love it. Love it. And um, what about napping? Positive, negative, or neither? Well, naps are great if you don't get enough sleep at night. It's a it's a good way to play catch up. Mm-hmm. And we all of us have a dip in the afternoon where we are a little sleepy. And if you take a if you take a power nap at that time, that gives you, you know, a good good enough energy for the next few. Hours. So, for example, it if you if you took a nap potentially and then got into a car to drive back home, you're better off because you've taken that edge off that sleepiness. Mm-hmm. Um, naps are if if 
Now, there are some people who have difficulty initiating and, and maintaining sleep at night. And if that's the case, then naps are not a good thing. Mm. Because in that case, naps would interfere with your ability to sleep at night. Yeah, so I think it's, it's best to be done on an individual basis. Mm. I think that for teenagers, you know, if they're not getting enough sleep at night, then a short nap during the day might actually be really useful. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a perfect little segue to to trying to dive into the the teenage, the teenage brain. And I, I believe teenagers probably need more sleep than even adults. Their prefrontal cortex is probably drawing from them. They're learning sponge the whole time. So I'd like to maybe spend a bit of time about the student, the student athlete. Um, what would be, and again, it might be the same, but I, an ideal sleep routine for a teenage athlete, is it the same? Is it different? I know we've not even spoken about a sleep routine yet, but what do you think on that? So I think that the way that I uh, you anybody should look at sleep would be number one in the quantity of sleep somebody needs mm -hmm. and number two in the timing of sleep so your sleep requirement changes as you as you get older you know babies need a lot of sleep that's why they sleep you know a newborn baby sleeps almost 23 hours out of 24 when you're a teenager as a teenager you need typically need about nine hours of sleep approximately right now there's some teenagers there's some individual difference so some may need a little less some may need a little bit more mm -hmm. but in addition to that teenagers are also wired to be night owls so during the teenage years you are likely to you can't really fall asleep before say a certain time maybe 11 or midnight and ideally you should be allowed to sleep in which becomes it's definitely problematic in the u.s because in the u.s kids have to wake up really early for high school. I don't know how it is where you are. So it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it doesn't feel as early here. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the pressures on, on those, on the teens are crazy. And, and I'm going to talk about that when, well, I might segue to that now, you know, especially in periods where these students, they need to cram, they've got these exams coming up. They're only possibly getting five or six hours of sleep a night. And it's almost unavoidable that that's what I'm, you know, some of the people I'm trying to help and they go, I just can't sleep more. So I suppose I've got a two part question here on that is, and this was actually sent to my, one of my students. They, the, one of the students was like a bit concerned. They go, okay, we're only getting five, six hours. The first part of the question is, is there a long-term negative effect on this? like lack of sleep, you know, the lack of short-term sleep, right? That's the first bit. And then the secondly was about the tools or suggestions when teenagers might only be able to sleep five or six hours a night. Mm -hmm. Well, I, and I, I, so when we think about all the things that a teenage brain has to do, right? It has to do like learning is something really, really important. Now, whatever you learn during the day, it's while you're sleeping that your brain hits the save button. And so it becomes, it sounds that, you know, it's like kids are burning the candle on both ends because they go to bed late. They may have homework, etc. They're cramming for exams. But you really, you need sleep to be able to take in that information and to save it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes what teenagers do end up doing is they're, they're up really late they cram, but then and then they might be okay at the exam the next day, but then don't really remember that information long term. And in the US, there've been studies in which they have changed uh, school start times and started them later, which allows teenagers to get even like sometimes 20 to 30 or 45 minutes extra sleep. And they found a significant improvement in their grades. That's awesome. You know, well-slept teenagers are less grumpy 
they're more, less irritable. They they actually have reduced distracted and drowsy driving hmm. because when teenagers are sleepy, they're not. It's not so much as they may be falling asleep. And, and yes, actually, they may be falling asleep during lessons, but sometimes teenagers actually have to do either start drinking caffeine or do things to keep themselves activated. Yeah. Right. So you you want to you want to prevent that. So so I want to give that background information that I want to specifically answer that question that that you were asking, your student was asking. Is there a long term side effect of not getting enough sleep? Yes, there are. What we do know is that consistently when you people get less sleep, it increases all-cause mortality. But I don't want to scare your student, right? So we know that, that if you get less sleep, you're likely to increase risk factors of like, you know, diabetes, um, uh, um, you know, heart disease, dementias, cancers, like all causes of mortality significantly increases. Mm-hmm. But the human body was designed to sort of to be able to take shorter periods of sleep deprivation. And as long as you get enough sleep later, you would be able to recover. You don't want to do that on a regular basis. So I would I would advise against doing this on a regular basis. And Mm -hmm. teenagers do this very often in which on school nights they go to bed late, but then they wake up early and then on weekends they go to bed really late. And then sleep until noon and do that on a Friday night and Saturday night. And then on Sunday, it's difficult for them to fall asleep. And then, of course, they're really sleep deprived Monday and they build that sleep debt again on Monday. And, you know, then again on the weekends, they do this repeatedly. That is a bad pattern. Mm. And you want to the best way to address that would be to try to go to bed maybe 20, 25 minutes earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. And or take a 20, 25 minute nap during the day, which kind of helps you. But. On the other hand, like, you know, I don't want to be alarming people. And there was this really nice study that just came out. And I think it was done in, it was done in uh, mice. And what it showed is that uh, when during some periods, people, you know, that, that these mice were getting less sleep, when they were getting more sleep, there was some repair of the damage that had happened at the DNA level. So, which makes sense, right? You know, when you're a newborn, when you have a newborn, Parents have sleep deprived. Eventually, you get back to sleeping better, and hopefully, you mm, there is some repair. Recovery. Yeah. No. Well, thank you. That's incredible. And um, in a similar vein, you know, you probably have this with adults, but but also teens. They they almost think sleep is this pesky, annoying thing that gets in the way of their productivity, right? It's this, you know, what's your message that we've obviously touching on some of them. And and again, obviously anyone can Google it and you'll see all the massive side effects. I think Matthew Walker's book was great, but it was a horror story at the same time. It was kind of like, whoa, okay, we we get the message that if we do not sleep, we're going to die in about a month. Obviously not, I'm exaggerating. So yeah, when what's what's your, I suppose your, your cell when someone thinks sleep is pesky and gets in the way? You know, and, and I think that, that that's a, cultural thing um typically when people get less sleep one of the first things that goes is their uh, judgment right so their judgment is impaired their ability to tell that they're impaired is also impaired (laughs) and so i think that only by only by actually doing it so only by actually slowly increasing that time in bed will they start feeling better and actually notice 
the improvements. I tell people, young, young kids that what you're interested in doing is not to work harder. You want to, do, you want to be more effective with what you're doing. And to be more effective, you want a well-rested brain. Yeah, good, great advice. And yeah, I love that idea of the the save button. It's it's yeah, it's literally you're you're backing up your hard drive, aren't you? When you when yes. you get in the right amount of sleep and 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 yeah, possibly cramming for short periods might be necessary because you just got to nail that exam. But yeah, yeah the the long term memory. And if we if we transition a little bit into athletics now, the skill set. You you know you're repeating a certain movement. You're trying to you're honing your skills, and you know, there's obviously the classic situation where the coach is telling the athlete, right, get up at 5 a.m. and get your reps in. And and actually, possibly that's more damaging now, wouldn't you say? That that like, okay, yes, there might be times they need to get up early. But what advice would you give to coaches and athletes that that basically want to get up super early and get extra reps in and sacrifice sleep? Well, I again, I, I, that's a great question because I think that the, the amount of dysfunctional beliefs and, you know, miss, miss, um, uh, uh, just, just, just the wrong information mm. that coaching staff, etc., has about sleep is really a lot, right? So, I, I, I mean, I think that when if if there is a balance between whether they should whether they should sleep a little bit more or get up earlier to do more reps, where well, you obviously would want to do the sleep because sleep is a biological need. Exercise is good, but you don't want to do that at the at the cost of not getting enough sleep. Mm. And and it also it's really important to address this because coaches can set the culture of the young kids that they're in charge of. So when you when you know coaches also are being older, may be morning people, so they are waking up early and they may wake up at six five or six and decide to come in but for a teenager who wants who'd like to go who would like to go to bed at 11 11 30 and then sleep until about 7 38 you know you're waking them up it's it's as if we asked the coach to come in at three in the morning wow right so they're they're waking up too early and they're waking, waking up at a time when they really should be sleeping mm. so that's you know that's that's just something that comes from repeated education yeah, good. And hopefully this conversation can reach a few of those yes. student athletes or coaches or anything like that. Have you um have you come across much of Andrew Huberman's work? Um yes. he's he done some really interesting, just very like similar message, that idea of yeah, the, he did like loads of podcasts just on sleep. And I thought they were really good because he goes obviously very in sciencey, but gives you tools at the same time. Yes. And he talks a lot about the sunlight in the morning to set your circadian rhythms. Yes. Your thoughts or any tips on on that idea? Is that a good bit of advice to get sunlight in the morning? Yes, are there are there will uh, are there a lot of students who are going to be listening to this talk? Uh, I would say half and half. Yes, okay. there's there's well, quite so, a quite a bit. So yeah. let's take the time to explain what circadian rhythms are. Then, to them. Good, perfect. Yeah. Right, and so all of us human beings, we have a intrinsic timekeeping system in us. So for us human beings, it's a circadian clock, and it's in our in your brain, and it's circa is approximately twenty four hours, so it keeps time and the circadian clock you know even though it's an intrinsic timekeeping system it's set on a daily basis it's reset by exposure to light and darkness when you wake up light enters your eye and it it's like an alertness pill it makes you awake and it strengthens your circadian rhythm and all the biology that happens during the day which keeps you alert and active 
And then at night, your clock wants darkness so you can sleep through the night. So that's how it works. Mm. And so, and so, like I said, so we as human beings are designed to be diurnal, which means that we should be awake during the day, but we are best sleeping at night. Now, there's some variability. I'm a morning person. So for me, I like to go to bed at like nine or 10 and then wake up at, you know, six or 5.36 in the morning. I have a 16-year-old teenage son and he's a night owl and he would like to go to bed at midnight or one o'clock. And if allowed to, to do whatever he wanted, would like to wake up at nine in the morning. Mm. He's a night owl and he's wired to be that way. But, uh, you know, bright light exposure during the day helps strengthen your daytime physiology and again darkness at night helps you helps you consolidate your whatever need you need to do for your nighttime sleeping mm -hmm. yeah love it uh, great advice and i uh, again just on a personal level try get that that sunlight early when you wake up obviously like you know who kind of um, sleep mask and earplugs. I get kind of nerded right. out about this. How did just better interesting again? You don't need to kind of go too personal, but obviously you've got a teenage son. You're a sleep yeah. expert. It's kind of like a bit of a dichotomy here. Yes. Is he receptive to the kind of the teachings you give, and are you trying to educate yes. him and teach him? Yes, and so like I, I would, I would tell your audience this exact same thing I tell my son. Right, and you're absolutely right. Sometimes they have homework. He plays tennis. You know, they have they have other things that are going on. And sometimes it's difficult for them to go to sleep on time. He has difficult. And so if he doesn't get enough sleep, my suggestion is a short nap in the afternoon. My preference would be, and I, I am part of um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And, you know, there are some large sleep um, uh, scientific communities, and they're trying to get schools to start later. That's awesome. My son's school begins at 7.45 a.m. And even if it was delayed by 20 to 30 minutes, it would make a significant difference because it would allow him to sleep a little bit longer. He does, you know, he's going to hate that I'm talking about this, but he does He does shower at night and then get up, gets up in the morning, you know, gets ready and then goes to school because like, he doesn't want to, he, want, he likes to sleep until you know the last bit if he can makes sense yeah his body's right. probably telling him that as well like right. just, just right. get as much as you can right. yeah and you know you know that's the other thing i think that it's important for coaches and parents to realize that their parents the kids are not trying to be they're not being lazy by doing that it's it's driven by their biology yes you know um being on the phones or being on technology or playing video games at, at night is bad because it's preventing you, it's taking away from sleep time. So yes, mm -hmm. that does play a role. But but it's unfortunately, you know, they're they're also biologically wired to do to to go to bed late. So you ca you cannot you really can't offer solutions in which the in which you can which if the kids are the only ones who are making changes, it really has to be organizational, right? Mm -hmm. It has the change has to come from above. Because yep. the, the coach has to say, yes, it's better to practice later during the day or after school. But, and um, school has to start a little bit later. And I don't know what what time does school typically start where you are. Yeah, it's it's yeah probably a little bit later. You know, eight fifteen to eight thirty. So that yeah, that's that's a luxury. Is, that's a great luxury yeah. to have. Yeah, let's let's yeah. be happy about that. And um, 
And so, yeah, if you were, if you were the lawmaker, would you, you'd push schools back. You would say eight thirty, nine o'clock start people yes. like that's yeah, that you would kind of get that in pretty quickly. I assume. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Makes and, sense. And, and it's supported by science. Um, you know, there's some in, in the U S there are some States who have, who have done that. And there's been a, an improvement in, in almost everything. Yeah. There's an improvement in grades. Um, um, in fact, like, you know, these, these students are happier. Kids That's are happy. It. They're less grumpy. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, they're just, they're less drowsy. They're, uh, you know, the number of car- distracted driving goes down, right? Because Makes if a sense. child is sleepy, they have to be, they have to keep themselves busy on telephones or something. Otherwise they're going to fall asleep. Makes so much sense. And, um, you know, we don't have that crystal ball, but, you know, you know, things are so driven by money. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, if they could measure the output and going, right, there's so much money being made by better sleep, then yes. the laws might change bizarrely. Yes. It's almost, it almost needs that kind of high level to change it, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it'd right. be interesting. And, so, Karen? Right. And, and that's why I think the message has to be, uh, the message has to be that you're more effective. Yeah. You know, because you're more effective, you you know, you have to almost you almost have to work a little less because you're because you are more effective while you're working. Mm. I mean, in in the in the workforce now, not getting enough sleep results in in something called presenteeism when people are at work, but they are not concentrating. And so then they're loafing the internet or doing other things because they just can't concentrate. Mm. And that could be, and, and that is oftentimes because mm. they haven't, they're not well rested. Mm. And, um, you know, you've probably seen it at the, the, the big sporting franchise, but I can imagine the big companies, Google, Amazon, et cetera, whatever, right. you know, they want their productivity at the top end. So they, I could assume you're going to see more and more of this um, stuff. So quick little side note here. I don't know if you saw, was it that it was that elite athlete in, I think she was Spanish. She did that 500 day. It was a 500 day where she went in the, into the cave for 500 yes. days. She only came out recently, like maybe a yes. couple of weeks ago. Did yes. you, did you see that? I thought that was incredible because yes. that's all to study sleep, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so I don't know all the details about that, but um, about that specific study. And, but it was, um, so in the 1950s, Kleitman, uh, I think it was in 1930. So the, they were they went down to the mammoth caves and spent some time there to study circadian rhythms. But uh, you know the presence of artificial light everywhere is really is a problem, right? It's kind of difficult to get a natural dark darkness. I mean, uh, hopefully we don't we shouldn't have to go into caves to be able to get that. You know, and and light has this really deep relationship with people because during the day when you look at something when it's brightly lit you feel really it can't it lifts your mood mm-hmm. it improves your mood etc and then if you look at the same place in in darkness people it can look creepy it can look scary and people do gravitate if you're up at night you know in the you know 100 200 years ago people would sit around a bonfire the and that bonfire actually um, is a source of light, but it doesn't affect your circadian clock. So it says it's it's a moonlight and born, you know, firelight, candlelights mm. doesn't do that. But uh, but the the modern day bonfire is the is your electronics that you take into bed with you, yeah. right? Or or whatever you're doing on the computer, like it's addicting and can prevent you from mm. falling asleep. 
And I assume at that point that obviously we talk a lot about blue light, but the blue light at the wrong time of day, like if it's being pumped into your system before bed, is it sending those signals to to wake up? Let's get more awake. Let's get more alert. Is, is that in, right. in basic terms yeah. what's happening? Well, so light, uh, the blue light uh, spectrum light is a uh, suppresses melatonin more strongly than the rest of the spectrum. But but light, uh, artificial light at night is is a, something that's being really well studied here in the US. So now we know that, you know, artificial light at night actually is detrimental to teen mental health. Hmm. And then there was last year, Phyllis Z's uh, lab. So this is in, in Chicago. That what they found is that even like brief episodes of light exposure while somebody is sleeping can actually affect their cardiovascular uh, health. Wow. So, you know, and, and, and you're right. I mean, the solution is really simple. Like even a nightshade mm. can kind of help create total darkness. Even if you're say, you know, living and sharing a bedroom with a, a sibling or living in a, a dormitory, you, you could, you could try to make your, make your surroundings really, really comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And again, I won't go down too much as rabbit hole, but I do nerd out about what sleep mask I'm using anyway. Yes. Kind of even the temperature and kind of making sure that I'm not overheating body, but also around the face, because I know temperature is a big thing. Could would you mind talking about temperature and optimal temperature for sleep? Because I think that's quite important, isn't it? Yes. So so um, you know, our our body temperature also has a circadian rhythm. So it kind of peaks if you're going to bed at eleven and waking up at seven, between four and seven in the evening is when it peaks. It's the same time where, you know, actually athletic performance also peaks when your body temperature is peaking and then it starts to fall and falling body temperature is what happens when you're falling asleep. Mm -hmm. So if you were sleeping out in the open, it would get colder and colder at night as the night progressed. And then, of course, before you wake up, there would be an increase in body temperature. So the recommendation is that that the room should be cold mm. and um it's, you know, for us in, in Fahrenheit, that would be between 65 to 67 Fahrenheit. Mm. That would be the recommendation. You can always take a thick, cozy blanket because you, it's easy to throw that off if you do get hot at night or stick a leg, a foot out because that helps cool people down. Mm. But yeah, cold and dark is always pref preferred uh, when you're sleeping at night. Perfect. And uh, you can obviously see in, in the industry now, you've got your Whoop devices, you've got these mattresses that actually regulate your temperature now. There's so much being pumped into the market around this beam right. that other company, the, the drink you have before sleep now. Yeah. So yeah, obviously people are super paying attention to it and that's great. It's only going to help, I would hope in a way. Um, yeah. So, so Dr. Mita, kind of opening up the conversation a little bit more now, I think um, you mentioned something about obviously athletes and, and, and that I want to just bring it back to that. So example, any advice on how to be alert when having to perform later in the evening? Because some competitors have to perform at nine or 10 o'clock at night. And one of my students sent in a question saying, hey, listen, I you know, I have to wake up early, but my match is only wow. at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. So any thoughts or advice on that? Because that, that's going to be quite contrasting, isn't it? Why, why is it at 9.30 or 10 at night? That's pretty late. Yeah, it is. Um, some of the competitions, uh, if we're just using squash, which is my background, um, some of the matches are scheduled for 9.30 or 10 at night. It, it is really late and it's just unfortunate. No, it's not off, like generally the matches are between six and seven, but if some yeah. of those early matches overrun, all of a sudden your match might be scheduled at 8.30, but now we're getting into the 9.30, 10 territory. Um, right. And obviously it's unavoidable. You've got to go play that match. Um, I don't know if you have any tips or advice. That's because, And what they're saying is they're feeling really drowsy and they're kind of yeah. really down at that point. Right. Well, so for late night competitions, 
the first thing I want you to know is that the best bet you can do for yourself is to get good night sleep the night before. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, it's not just the night before the competition. It's all those nights leading up to the competition. So you want to try to get, consistently try to get good sleep. That sets you up for the occasion nights when you have to be up late. And then, if possible, you want to, that's a good time to take a nap, right? Yeah. So you could, if you took a nap in the mid-afternoon, that will also sort of take a bite out of your sleep drive and give you more alertness for a later competition. And the third thing is that you could you could do all those things like, you know, drink a lot of caffeinated products. Um, oh, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Drink some caffeine. You could drink some caffeine before, you know, maybe half an hour or so prior to the competition. And alertness is better when you have bright light, um, if you're moving around, which these athletes are already doing. Mm -hmm. So that would be my advice. So three, A, get more, get good sleep regularly, leading all the way up to the, the day of the competition. B, maybe take a mid-afternoon nap that day. And C is maybe use some caffeinated uh, you know, a be beverage, but but just before the competition, mm. that would help. So let's um, if you okay, let's investigate caffeine because it's a yeah. it's a big subject. We talk about it a lot. Um, sometimes it's got a massive taboo around it, like never drink caffeine. But actually, at right times, I've heard it pretty good. So, what's your advice on caffeine? Well, so caffeine itself. So for your audience, let's explain how caffeine works. What caffeine does is it goes and it attaches itself to the receptor in the brain where your sleepiness neurotransmitter goes and attaches. So it blocks the effect of sleepiness. So it definitely is performance enhancing. It does, it improves your reaction time. It does improve accuracy. Mm. So if you strategically, it can really be a good performance enhancer. As long as you remember a few things. Number one is that A, it takes about 20, 25 minutes to take effect. And then it's half-life is about five or six hours. So, and at, if you take it, so if you drink it at like six o'clock in the evening, if you're trying to go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, half of it is still in your system. So it is going to make it difficult for you to sleep at night. Interesting. So, now, caffeine, It's if you drink the same amount of caffeine on a regular basis, you can develop a tolerance to the effect. So it's not going to be very effective. So strategically using it is would be in that case in which you, know, you, you don't really drink a lot of caffeine or you drink one cup in the morning. And then on those occasion evenings, occasional evenings, when you have an evening competition, you drink some caffeine just before the competition. That would be the right way to do it. Love it. But um, there's, there's probably a little bit of a sting in the tail here, isn't there? Again, if your match is at seven or even eight o'clock at night and you've drunk your caffeine and then you you win and you need to compete the next day, you're almost getting in your way, isn't it? There's, yeah. It's a tough one, isn't it? it? Is. It's a balance. It, mm. is, it is a tough one. Mm. And and especially that it depends. it really depends on you know what because you're right they're not pe people after you drink caffeine it is it might be difficult for them to fall asleep and then for some people they may fall asleep but they don't go into the deeper stages of sleep so the sleep is still non-refreshing mm. so you really it's it's really is something that you have to do use really really strategically mm. perhaps they can use it slightly earlier you know so don't drink it or just before 7 p.m., maybe drink it a little bit earlier during the day. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends on what time the, their competition is the next day. You know, mm -hmm. perhaps during the time when they have comp evening competitions, regularly taking naps in the afternoon is something they have to do. 
because because they're not getting enough sleep at night. That's great advice. And again, on a similar level, I suppose kind of a two-parter question, how do you fall asleep quicker? But not just that, I'm going to maybe kind of challenge you a little bit here. How does an athlete fall asleep quicker once maybe even the adrenaline and the high of the competition may still be in your system? I'm sure you've had to talk about that quite a lot. Yes, yes. Well, I think that the first thing you have to do is to have a realistic expectation of what your bedtime should be. Because, and I, I'm going to give you a real life example, right? So if you're, if you are a, uh, let's say an NBA player and your game doesn't end till about 10 p.m. If, you're, if you think your bedtime is going to be 11 p.m. or 11.30, well, then you're just not going to fall asleep because you are, you know, you're, the adrenaline is high. Your body temperature is still high. You sometimes have a lot of thoughts. You know, you're still thinking about the game. So your bedtime is going to be, it's going to be uh, somewhat delayed. I think a better way to think about it is to, is to think that, you know, to divide it into parts, right? So if you, if, you are once you've decided what a good bedtime for you is so again we're giving an example of an nba player let's assume that they're more likely to fall asleep between maybe 12 30 or 1 in the morning i think it's more important to develop a winding down schedule right because you come off the you come off the court you've done those you know the the stretches etc you've taken a shower perhaps set an alarm in the evening and maybe about 45 minutes from what you think your bedtime is and you start your winding down schedule. For a lot of these players, they have they have a lot on their mind. Their mind doesn't stop thinking. You know, the habit of putting writing a journal sometimes is really good. And what that does is it takes your mind out of your, uh, your thoughts out of your mind and puts it down on a piece of paper. You have to really be regular so that you can, develop this habit and that doesn't interfere with your racing thoughts, but also things like, you know, a hot bath, um, meditation or some, you know, any sort of spiritual practices, stretching exercises, reading a book mm -hmm. or listening to a podcast. Sometimes, you know, for some, some, if people are used to watching TV, it's, uh, you know, you, you might have to have a compromise and watch something like dull and boring, something, it's just something that they have to watch all the time. In fact, I, I'll give you an example. A few uh, a few months ago, I was working with this WNBA head coach, and she um, she was talking about how the fact that um, she uh, went. She's so used to falling asleep with television that she they rented an Airbnb. She had to actually get up and go buy a television set. Whoa, because no she ways. just could not fall asleep no the first ways. night, right? And and she watches the same show mostly, but she has it on the background and it kind of helps her. It's part of what she's developed as a winding down schedule. Now, a sleep purist would say, well, you shouldn't have any light, no no television on, etc. But you know, if the compromise is that they have developed some things in their wind down schedule, that's what you should do. You know, develop a good winding down schedule that actually helps people fall asleep. Brilliant. I love it. And yeah, I, I'm super into the journaling myself. It's definitely my yes. big habit. Just get it, get it out your mind. I've got a little nerdy habit that as I close the book, I, I close it a little bit harder for the sound. Yeah. And for me, it's so nerdy, but the sound says to me, it's I done. cannot, I, exactly. My day is done. I cannot influence one more thing today. The only thing I can influence is my sleep. And like, it's kind of getting into that positive so, mindset. I think that is amazing. Like that is such a good, so I have, I've had people who will 
actually kind of tear up that page to say that I'm done with that page, which it's it's okay if that works. I've actually had, but yes, I've heard of people who kind of, once they put it down, it's ritualistic. They put it in a drawer and they have to kind of walk away for them. And, and Jesse, like this is not a habit you can develop overnight. It takes years. <laughs> yes, it does take It'll, you know, it's like skill acquisition. You slowly build on it. You're not going to see an immediate return, but your brain is going to register that once you've done that, you know, you're done with whatever you're doing. And how cool is that compounding effect that you just said at skill acquisition, you're learning the skill of journaling, then right. you're going and sleeping on it. And then you kind of, yeah. you're reinforced. It's like this, this beautiful cycle that can actually feed each other. And yeah, yeah. I love getting into like really kind of detailed habits in that. Um, so is there such a thing as too much sleep? So for example, you use the weekends for those teenagers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people can have like loads of sleep and trying to work off their sleep debt, which is maybe a thing that no one can do. And you wake up like terribly, you're way more tired and you're actually way more, you know, kind of slower. Is there such a thing as too much sleep? Well, so that's a very interesting concept. So the short answer is no, not unless you have a sleep disorder. So the short answer is that you really cannot consume more than your sleep requirement. And so there have been there have been studies done out of um, uh, I want to say Harvard and so these in these studies uh, and these are older studies what they do is they they take in people uh, you know they take in subjects and they allow them over a period of time to get um, you spend a lot of time in bed and in the first one week or so people actually consume more than their sleep requirements so they're sleeping ten to fourteen hours because they're playing catch up. Mm -hmm, for the sleep mm -hmm. debt but then over the next three four weeks you know their sleep they start sleeping less and then they they finally reach a a, a homeostatic set set point right so there's a point where that you can't really consume more than your sleep requirement mm. unfortunately we never we guys you know we never get there right because we're always we play we have sleep debt then we play catch up we have sleep debt and we catch up so i think so I want to I want to answer that question because there there are multiple questions in that in that question that you asked me. So I think that the second thing to remember is that yes, there are some disorders of excessive daytime sleepiness, Jesse. So people who have narcolepsy, who have sleep apnea, they may be excessively sleepy during the day and they're sleeping a lot, mm -hmm. or they're taking sleeping pills, or they're on medications that. And if that's the case, they need to see a sleep doctor. You know, there's an actual disorder that is that is happening. But the third thing I always like to tell people is that, you know, sleepiness and uh, um, an alertness kind of where, you know, it, it varies during the day, depending on your circadian rhythm. So it's natural to be a little sleepy in the mid-afternoon because mm -hmm. that's what we're wired to do, which is a good time to take a nap. And, and that oftentimes people will come to me and say, well, you know, I, I got more sleep, but I kind of feel a little bit worse today because I feel a little hungover. And what's happening is that uh, it's, it's, it's this unique thing called sleep inertia is when you wake up from sleep, you know, if you, if you went into deeper stages of sleep and it, it, depending on how much sleep you've had in the past, it takes a little longer to get going. Sure. And people don't like that feeling. Mm. And, and again, I'm, I'm sorry to like belabor the point. I'm, I'm, I'm like a stuck record. What that means is that you, on a regular basis, you need more sleep. That's the only way to do it. So if you're feeling hungover on the weekends because you got more sleep, which it just means that during the week, maybe 
go to bed 15, 20 minutes earlier. You know, I'm not saying go to bed two hours earlier. I mean, I, I think most people will say, oh, I'm not even going to do that at all. And that's not what I want them to do. No, exactly. Even if you try to get 15, 20 minutes a little bit and you try to be more regular, that'll help be helpful. Mm. Yeah, it's your, it's your massive big billboard that's kind of saying to you, yes, listen, your habits over time are, are not massively aligned. So maybe just zooming out kind of towards the, the end yeah. of, of our conversation here. Um, When you're working with these elite athletes, these elite teams, I suppose two things, like the positive and negative. What I mean by that is, what are the positive kind of changes you're seeing happening, but also where are you seeing it moving too slowly, in your opinion, that that you kind of think, actually, this needs to change a little bit quicker? I think I think the positive thing is that everybody's interested in solving this problem because they all want to be they all want to perform their level best. And yes, you're right. I mean, they, you know, many times the thought process is that sleep is the best thing. Like, why do I need to do it? And I think that I I think of success when they they come to the other side and say, well, I'm going to prioritize my sleep so I can be more effective while I'm at work. Mm. And so I, and, and there is, there's a big push. I mean, unless you're sleeping, unless you're living under a rock, you know, you all, everybody knows sleep is important. I think the way that it moves slowly is just the fact that in professional sports, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business mm -hmm. and they are, they're, they always have, there's always another game that they have to play and they want to show up, you know, well-rested. And sometimes it's difficult to change the mindset of perhaps coaches or especially when they've done it the same way for a long time. They're like, well, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Like we won matches after we won three, we got three hours of sleep. And, and so, you know, that's a mindset that slowly has to be changed. And I think that's a, it's a difficult mindset because what that does is that, it kind of, you know, if, if the head coach is getting there at five in the morning, it kind of makes all mm. the rest of the coaches think that they have to be there too at that same time, mm. right? Makes And if they don't prioritize sleep, then why would their athletes do so? Mm. It'd be interesting to, to kind of know 20 years ago, if you were to kind of ask coaches and players, like rate the most important things for performance, like, okay, yeah, we know we need to be strong and fit and we need to be fast. And we need to eat well. Sleep might have come fifth six seven no. possibly now i'm not i don't think it's number one yet i preach like it's your yes. number one but i'm sure you preach as number one yes. but i think it's going to be much higher in the list now isn't it but it's yes. still not there yet you'd still say that the priority of sleep for some organizations or people or mindsets is is still a bit it's a pesky thing isn't it yes yeah, yeah. so in in major league baseball um for years they used to you know using amphetamines was really common so they were called greenies and i can tell you all old timers they all say they miss this they miss the greenies more than they miss the steroids. Interesting. Because, because it just, the fatigue, it can be debilitating. You know, wow. it, it affects their performance. And it, I mean, there, there are some good things that are happening at the league level, almost it, at every league. Like the league, uh, you know, whether it's the NBA, the NHL, the, N, the Major League Baseball, or, or um, the NFL, both the league and the players' union, you know, they want to, they want to focus on player health. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's, you know, there's this, um, uh, there's this push of what we can do uh, to kind of help people. What, what can be, what sources, resources can we provide them so that mm. they can do a little better? 
And well, that, that's a great question to have to keep pushing sleep up to that number one ranking, which I think it, it like kind of needs to. And just I, you're aware of Team Sky, maybe they won the Tour de France and they were a terrible racing team. And but they did a documentary on them about 10 years ago and it was incredible. Yeah. They followed like like they would send a bus ahead to their hotel rooms on the Tour de France. They would set up the athlete's room with their same pillow they have at home, put their their yeah. air conditioning or heating in the same duvets. Yeah. And they went like, like Dave Brailsford talked about the marginal gains. That's where it came up, the 1% yeah. improvements. And yeah, yeah, so Team Sky were that's massive. Exactly right. I love it. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and so ahead of their times. I think that's fantastic. It's great. So listen, we've covered some incredible ground today, but is there anything that you maybe we think we haven't discussed that might be of high value or if there's like a final message you'd like to give the listeners? I think um so let me let me think this uh, I I tell people that the the frontier of science or optimal health and optimal performance really is circadian health which is trying to live in accordance to your circadian rhythm or you know if you if you are out of sync trying to use natural things like light exposure and darkness to be able to so that you can be you can be alert when you want to and you can sleep well when you when you want to be so i think that really is something that's really important and for for um teenagers i have to tell you that when you get to my age you're gonna love naps you know because teenagers are like well i'm gonna sleep i don't really need to sleep i have like better things to do but there comes a stage that's like a mm. switch that happens sometimes in the middle age when mm. you're like, well, no, sleep is really important. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm there. Two years yeah. now, kind of. I need probably know like two thirty is that peak time, and is that that horrible saying? I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'm like, it's yeah. just, and that's like our kind of modern culture saying, no, we just got to be productive and work yes. and push. It's like, dude, you're doing it the wrong way. You're kind of getting in your own way and you're yes. slowing yourself down, aren't you? Yes. Which is, yeah, yes. I I have a simple answer to that. Your judgment is impaired. You know, if you're saying that. It's just not, it's just not the, it's not the smart thing to do at this point. It really no. isn't. And it's not kind to yourself either. Mm, totally. So um, if, if anyone listening wants to follow you or check you out, can you just give a shout out to where they can kind of see you, Twitter, Instagram, website, where, where should they go? So, and and hopefully we can link all of that. I, I have a website. It's called meetasingmd.com. Um, uh, uh, I'm on Twitter at meetasingmd. And I'm on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. And on Instagram, I may be athlete sleep MD1. But if you can link all of them. Uh, of course I will. I always link into the show notes. Listen, Dr. Mita Singh, this has been incredible. I've literally just sat here and just been almost selfish and just kind of learned myself. So I really thoroughly enjoyed it. You've been really good. It sounds like you're doing some incredible stuff. And yeah, I'm looking forward to following your work in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much.